Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. Many of you know that I started this podcast as a way to share academic conference presentations, and I expanded this work in spring of 2020 in order to bring you the audio versions of the pandemic pedagogy conversations I've been hosting on my YouTube channel, Imagining a New We. For this upcoming school year, I'm going to be bringing you a second series that I'm hosting on YouTube called Source Saturday, where I talk with historians and creators and archivists about primary and secondary sources that they have familiarity with and to talk about what they read from them. Although the series does work better as a video because we screen share the sources we discuss it, there are many interesting elements of our conversation that do, that do work as a podcast, but I do urge you to check out the YouTube video so you can see the source for yourself. Like the Pandemic Pedagogy series, these podcast episodes are unedited conversations, so you may hear buffering or the repetition of a question or an answer if Zoom wasn't working that great, but the content remains fundamentally the same as the video. Enjoy this version of Source Saturday. In this video, I am talking to, well, me and B. We'll see if she stays around or if she gets any more enthusiasm. Uh, in this video, B and I are talking with Matthew Comas. He is a uh, interpreter. He's a writer. He is a historian based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And he is the founder of Winnipeg Ghost Walks, which is just so fantastic. It's one of the uh, first ghost walk um, like companies, tours um, across Canada. He's been doing it for almost 20 years. And the ghost walks have turned into books. He has, writ he has written Winnipeg's Ghost History, Manitoba's Ghost History, and um, although this is the first time we are meeting when we were connecting for the series, we were talking about how there's often in these like ghost houses or ghost walks, there's this like phantom idea of a woman in white, like these generic ghost stories. And so Matthew's goal is really to kind of break open that idea that there is these phantom ghost stories and to like bring in real histories to tell the stories of the spirits and ghosts in the city and province that he lives. So I can't wait to meet him. Let's go over to Zoom and see Matthew. Matthew, I'm really excited to connect with you. I'm sure you're very busy in October, although maybe COVID has changed some things. I am really excited to talk about Winnipeg Ghost Walks and your work kind of generally. So do you want to introduce yourself before we get started? Yes, so thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Matthew Comas. I am a uh, tour guide, storyteller, uh, a writer, museum educator. I guess wear a lot of different hats. Uh, but I've started specializing in using sort of haunted history or paranormal history uh, to help, or basically paranormal stories to help teach people about history. And I'm so intrigued. So, you know, I'm doing this like spooky series. And I'm talking to people that are related to like spooky things. But when we talked beforehand, I'm so intrigued by the way that you, that you want to move from these kind of cliche type ghost stories because they like how many women in white can there be apparently a lot <laughs> a lot apparently. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about your work uh sure i'll let you know a little bit how i kind of got started it was sort of by accident i was doing a lot of uh programs and heritage sites dealing with you know more traditional history and architecture tours and programs and people always would ask oh, is this building haunted? Is there a ghost? Can you tell us a ghost story? 
didn't matter the subject uh, subject you were talking about, that's what they wanted to know. Uh, so I started looking around, finding, yeah, there were lots of ghost stories. And then I began it as a tour. First night of the tour, it's pouring rain, it's cold. I know this is trying not to make the stereotype of Winnipeg, but that's what it was that night. <laughs> right. And I thought I could show up, wait 10 minutes and go home. And I had 20 people waiting in the cold rain. Wow. So that clear people want to hear these uh, these stories. So how long have you been doing the um, haunted walks? A little bit over uh, 10 years now, actually. Started so, in 2009. So what have you kind of learned from finding the ghost stories, sharing the ghost stories, having people receive the ghost stories? How does this, how has it like shaped how you read the past and read these histories? I think it's kind of a, it's sort of a different way of looking at it. Often, um, I think sometimes in the past, people get bogged down in sort of the, the dates, um, the, the key events, though ghost stories sometimes touch on those big events or those big names. Uh, look at basically people who maybe didn't get the same amount of attention, don't have books written about them. So you get a wider spectrum of people that were living at that uh, at that time, I think, is one one thing you get from the ghosts. And like, perhaps, I mean, when you said, you know, normally when we're doing history, we're doing these like big names and dates, and sometimes they interact, but not always. Like, to me, it really like identifies, yes, like the mundane, but also just like people's experiences and like things like passions and anger and lust and love and like all of that like groundswell of emotion that 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 like national history I think takes out on purpose because the idea is to do big names and dates. Yeah uh, absolutely you sort of get those uh, those stories those details. Uh, so for example is when I look at in a an older hotel and it involves basically in some ways it's a story that you could almost connect to to the uh, Me Too movement and women's rights because it involves a person who basically uh, became interested in a woman, wouldn't take no for an answer, and ends up murdering her. That story has now been tied into the ghost story. So it can be, can be tricky because you're not trying to exploit something. Even though this happened, oh, you know, 80, 90 years ago, everyone involved, of course, is long, long dead. But it's interesting how you do sort of see some of those parallels where people sometimes one almost give like, oh, this stuff didn't happen in the past. You know, there wasn't, mm. there wasn't scandals. There weren't people cheating on spouses or, or murdering partners. They, you know, you kind of think this, you know, uh, how, you know, things are so bad these days. I was like, well, these are universal. They've been around forever, those sort of issues. Yeah. And I think the more we, I mean, this is just like, um, my own personal opinion from thinking about a lot of these issues. But I think the more that we recognize those things in the past, things like gender-based violence, um, corruption, the more we can like work through them in the present because we're recognizing that they aren't like, they aren't like a, a, a staple of our modern ways, but it's something that, that like a deep wound that we need to kind of fix. So we talked about like, moving away from the, the woman in white, <laughs> the kind of classic story. So why, like, why is that such 
a cliched story and how do the work and how does the work that you do move away from those kind of cliched ghosts when i think it's sort of you know the woman in white when for example that story seems to be placed in any old hotel in canada has a woman in white it doesn't seem to matter where you are they'll have one usually something you know terrible happened to her uh, on her wedding night is usually how how it goes um dangerous so like wedding to, nights <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i like to then sometimes when people would tell me um and when I've researched a lot of these stories in buildings, it's amazing how often people tell me, oh, it's haunted, but there's this horrible murder, or there's this axe murder here. And you start doing, going to the sources, doing a little more research, and you're like, well, it's, it's strange that this horrible tragedy happened, and yet nobody thought to write about it in the newspapers that were, right. you know, publishing at the time. So what I find gets away from that woman in the white, and I've yet to find a, a story referencing uh, that. Um, to find a, a story referencing women in white is you would actually start to find some of these real ones. Like I mentioned the example of the hotel where it was this very tragic, you know, violent case and it had been researched. Uh, the police museum had done extensive research on it. Uh, someone had written a short sort of uh, booklet on it. So it's finding those kind of stories, the actual stories. Um, one I found really interesting involves the Burden Cummings Theatre used to be called the Walker Theatre and it talks about this uh, couple basically middle-aged couple standing on stage ghostly couple and in this particular case um, you know the ghost story itself isn't maybe that unique um, but it connects back to the Empress of Ireland which is a large passenger line there and when I started doing research, I found out, yes, the couple, Lawrence Irving and Mabel Hackney, they did their final show in Winnipeg. They get on a train, they get on the Empress of Ireland, and the ship goes down. And his body's found floating in the water. Her body's never found. So the idea of them coming back to haunt the theater fits so well to uh, what should be a well-known Canadian history story. But I would say like 98% of people on my tours have never heard of the Empress of Ireland. Mm -hmm. even though more passengers died on it than on the Titanic. <laughs> wow. Yep, that's not something I've ever heard of. <laughs> that's kind of finding those actual stories as opposed to just, yeah, as you said, like the woman in white, the ones that have sort of details that can be put anywhere. Would I really look for stories that I can tie into a particular place? Um, with my tours, with my books, I'm only using identifiable buildings. A lot of ghost books often do, oh, this all this strange stuff happened in this house in the suburbs. But that house could be Winnipeg, but that house could be Edmonton, that house could be Sudbury. It can be anywhere. Well, just to take a step back for people who <laughs> might not know what we mean when we say women in white, because I just realized, like, <laughs> we get it, but maybe other people don't, that, like, there just seems to be a very large swath of ghost stories of a woman wearing white, haunting some sort of building. Like you said, maybe she was, um, uh, maybe she had a very bad wedding night. Maybe her beloved was lost at sea. But like, there just seems to be a lot of ghosts who are white women wearing white, haunting yeah. particular places. And like you said, there, there is a story that that doesn't actually have any place. And that's why what's really interesting about your stories is because you really want it 
ground in a place. Yeah. Uh, to give you another example, sort of a place, is I do tours and programs with Seven Oaks House Museum. It's a historic home, seasonal museum in, uh, in Winnipeg. It's the oldest house. Uh, it goes back about 150 years. And when we were sort of going through realizing how many people have died in this particular uh, particular house, and it's at least nine or ten, which sounds, given today's standards, um, horrific. But when you start thinking, that's the uh, an entrance way to start talking about how in the Red River settlement there were no hospitals, there were no old folks' homes, uh, none of that existed initially. So having nine or ten people die in the house really isn't that. Uh, outlandish but then the story we like to tell um involved a man called william mcmurray actually who fort mcmurray is named after and tragically he was the son-in-law of the family there he was visiting and he chokes to death and dies during the family dinner in the dining room and it's yes it's it's rather gruesome one and um Again, so much with ghost stories is you have to look at it's stuff you never want to include but when a hundred and you know 50 years have passed, it sort of opens it up more. But people have felt someone sort of grabbing or touching them from the dining room. So then you're tying this ghost story, uh, you know, that we were told, and people who've made these claims were unaware that he, he choked to death in the dining room. So you have their story and you can tie it into uh, to what actually happened. And then you can start tying into, you know, Heimlich knew, or 911, all these things we take for granted did not always sort of exist. So you can sort of start bringing in the history. So let me just ask you a question. Are you like, I, when I hear your stories, like you're bringing like actual facts and like real things to these stories. Are you a bit of a killjoy? (laughs) In doing that, are you taking away some of the like ambiance around these stories or do you find that people are like that love those details? And when I say killjoy, like I'm glad that you yeah. laughed and you yeah, didn't no, say I like know. this is over. But like, what is that? What is that relationship between like the mystical, which is what I think people are looking for, and like the realities, like the realities of research that you're bringing to these stories? It's kind of finding what people uh, what people look for, and I always tell people I'm not here to convince or even I should argue for that matter to prove or disprove supernatural ghosts there are people like to really do investigation tours and bring up detectors and uh, try to you know talk to the spirit world Uh, and I think that's great and that definitely has a following but a lot of there's also a lot of people that that's not their cup of tea Um, and in some ways either they're just not interested or it even sort of turns them off a bit so I think you have a lot of people that are just it's kind of like when you sit around the campfire, you want to hear that spooky yeah. story, uh, but you don't necessarily need to be trying to prove if ghosts exist. And we're also different, uh, and this is a challenge to the all ghost tours like mine have, uh, letting people know it's not a haunted house. Uh, as they tell people, if somebody jumps out, I'm going to be just as scared. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but a lot of people don't like always the jump scares or they find haunted houses just, you know, can be, can be cheesy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of finding, uh, that niche, that group that basically wants to hear stories, um, 
and I, I when he said it's a killer laugh because one review in my book talked about too much history, not enough ghosts. So I, uh, in my second <laughs> second book, we tried to push the ghosts a little more. <laughs> so. Well, before we talk about your book, I went on a ghost tour, not your ghost tour. I'm in Toronto, so I went on a ghost tour um, in Toronto. And like, I know a lot about Toronto. <laughs> when people come to visit, I apparently give historical tours I don't even realize it I just think I'm like showing them around Toronto but I'm like oh did you know this so I mean I, I know a fair bit um and when I went on a ghost tour I learned more than I had on any tour before and can I remember like the ghost stories no but I can remember like the stories of people and the details of architecture that I hadn't noticed before and I and in a way it's like a different level of ghost it's not like this woman in white but it's like it's just like these people that are that surround us through the fact that we are like layered on the past and we just never acknowledge um so it's kind of interesting that you that, that you kind of think of your work in a similar way and that response wasn't just like a grumpy history educator being like, I'm not going to learn anything on this tour. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's definitely true. And I think it, obviously not all, all ghost tours, but I think you find a lot of them really are bringing out that local history, especially the ones, uh, I'm fortunate in Winnipeg, it's a, a smaller market, but in, in large cities, and uh, I don't know for sure, Toronto may be one where they have, sometimes almost like pop-up ghost tours where mm. people are like, oh, this is an idea. I can make lots of money. Um, but it's the ones that have been around for longer uh, or come back year after year that you really start to get these stories with the places. Uh, the ones that seem to just be trying to get the Halloween business. You're probably going to hear a lot of uh, women in white. Yeah. <laughs> white <story. laughs> oh, look at that building that was built in the 80s. There's a Victorian woman yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, that haunts exactly. the, the top floor. Exactly. <laughs> that haunts the penthouse. <laughs> she goes swimming at the spa. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about your um, your books. One of them is on your the website, Haunted Winnipeg. Um, and you have another one, right? Yes. Haunted Manitoba? Really on the website. <laughs> That's Manitoba. fine. You don't need to you don't need to promote yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Haunted Haunted Winnipeg, um, and then Haunted Manitoba. And they're similar, they introduce the buildings basically by talking about uh, history, and then it gets into the ghost stories connected uh, to it. So I try to cover different, uh, you know, some are houses, some are businesses, uh, law museums, uh, in part because that's a field I work in, so I have those connections. But uh, museums seem to have a lot of ghosts, uh, which I guess dealing again with the old and most are in right. old buildings. Uh, theaters to um, some people say it's connected to the amount of emotion and energy put out in the theater other people think actors tend to be uh, quite superstitious very much believing in in spirits uh, so it seems almost every theater you can find a find a ghost and actors are also drama queens like literally so if they were to die I'm sure they would want a second reprieve as a spirit anyway <laughs> well, that's the story I mentioned earlier with the Walker Theaters, the idea that they're putting on their final show over and over and over uh, again. Yeah. yeah, Haunted Manitoba, I decided to uh, try to co cover more of, the, uh, more of the province, so a little bit from Winnipeg, but uh, throughout the area. And it was, at times it was challenging, just uh, certain areas I felt weren't overly represented, but 
certain communities are far more open to this type of stories mm. than others are. Um, sometimes based on ethnicity, sometimes based on religion. For example, Manitoba is a large uh, Icelandic settlement population. Uh, in fact, it's most people outside of Iceland are in Manitoba uh, from there. I don't think I ever knew that. And it's it's not too well known. It's in the area called the Interlake, so between Lake Manitoba and Lake Winnipeg. And they love ghost stories. So cat can yeah, that's visit. a cat. Yeah, <laughs> they, really like, they really like they really like the the spooky ones. They're doing a lot of spooky <laughs> cameos. <laughs> yeah, Icelanders love telling ghost stories. So I got lots of ghost stories from that part of the province in areas that tended to be more you know conservative Mennonite or Catholic. It's just a no go. So. If you're thinking about bringing in like ghost stories to teaching and learning history, like in a classroom or a museum that hadn't considered it, how does these ideas of ghost stories challenge how we normally understand historical periods? And like the ghost stories of like the ones that are grounded in actual events um, and not necessarily the ones that are grounded in kind of like urban or a rural legend. I think, I don't know if it would necessarily say for historians necessarily challenge the thoughts as much, but for the general public, a lot of things they're un, um, maybe not, not aware of. Like he's Seven Oaks uh, House as an example. And, uh, obviously a museum doesn't want to have a, a silly haunted house if they're gonna stick to their, their mandate, but it's looking at things like seances, uh, Ouija boards so we almost see it as kids things are a little bit silly that was mainstream a hundred years ago uh, mm -hmm. your doctors and lawyers and politicians gathering around for a seance it was not viewed as something you know silly or on the fringe so I think bring out things like that that there could be a seance going on in the parlor um, this idea too about like funeral customs uh, we've used a lot and then uh, with COVID this year, we weren't able to take anyone into the museum, so their staff did a great job setting up window displays. And in one of the rooms, they recreated a funeral, a funeral that actually took place at, at the house. So it's not something just to scare people, but it's showing this reality of, you know, funerals and death and seances. This was part of their, their life. It's now so often it's, it's pushed out, especially out of the home, uh, but that it was very common. So that's certainly one of the ways. You know, I spoke to a couple other people for this series and somebody is looking at um, like uh, like seances and mediums, like recordings of them in the 1930s. And it was really interesting to think about these things as being mainstream. And, and part of his work was on um, soldiers during World War One, and like how the 1920s had a lot of things like seances to connect with these, the fact that a whole generation is now gone. And it's really, I think, important and interesting to think about those aspects of spirituality and connection that were mainstream as a way to kind of connect us with bigger stories, different stories of the past. Um, so thank you for bringing some of this and like some nuance to our non-women in white stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was really fascinating. And if, and when I get to Winnipeg, cause I've never been actually, I was supposed to go to Brandon, Manitoba a few years ago and it never worked out. And of, 
I think I've been to every province but um, Manitoba. So when I get to Winnipeg, um, I'll definitely check out a ghost tour. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to uh, love to have you. Uh, so how can people get um, in touch with you? How can they book tours now? Um, like, are all of these tours uh, or the, the two tours and the private tours, are they all running? How does COVID shape that if they're interested in doing a, a tour this October or November? Yeah, COVID's definitely been a big, big challenge. Uh, but we are still, we're doing quite small, uh, small tour groups. So they can contact us through Winnipeg Ghost Walk uh, at gmail.com or through actually, uh, it's called Square Peg Tours. Uh, it's a different company and they do, uh, or this year they're doing my tour booking and ticketing uh, for, uh, for at least for 2020. And hopefully next year, yeah, there's the, the link there. And hopefully next year we're going to be able to, uh, to be a little bit back to normal. It's, um, unfortunately, we just went to level orange and higher restrictions in the worst possible time when you're running a, a ghost tour the two weeks leading up to Halloween. So this year's definitely been a little tough, but, uh, but there are still some, some small tours taking place. Okay, cool. Well, and I, it's not like people still have an appetite for these. And so I hope that they get a chance to purchase your book and they can probably do their own little self-guided tour, uh, holding a copy of your book as they walk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and just remember the book has more history than like weird <laughs> ghosts that don't actually belong to history. <laughs> yes. um, Matthew, it was so great to meet you and to connect with you. Thank you so much for sharing this work. I really enjoyed um, learning about your ghost tours and, uh, and your book and your research. Um, let's stay in touch. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.